For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about the life-changing grace that has been given to those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Ross in a message entitled, The True Purpose of Christmas. As the Lord would have it, in His providence, you know, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through certain books, the New Testament. And sometimes a pastor has to be looking for a Christmas text. Well, it falls on Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10 is right where we're at in our normal going through uh, the Bible study series. And it's the most perfect scripture passage for Christmas. So the Lord is good as always. And so we're headed to Ephesians chapter 2. You can turn there, get ready. That's where we're headed. I ask the Lord for his blessing now. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would kind of quiet our hearts with your love by the power of your Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our understanding. We might see some fresh new insights about why you came to save us. And by knowing those truths and grasping them, we would live more worthy of the high calling that you have upon our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Well, there was a news report earlier this year, perhaps you caught it, about a, a man who was struggling with some pretty serious illness. He was admitted to a hospital in Alabama. And sadly, uh, things took a turn for the worse, and his breathing stopped, no pulse, and he was declared uh, dead by the doctors there, medical staff. They went out and they informed uh, the man's family uh, they broke the news that he had passed away. Um, and they were allowed to come in now and see him uh, and say goodbye, say their goodbyes. The coroner's office was notified, and also the organ donor uh, people were on their way. So it had been about an hour, and the coroner's office was there, ready to remove, uh, remove him from the room. And a family friend was standing by the bed and just kind of grabbed his hand and said, we're going to miss you, pal. And the man opened one eye <laughs> and tried to respond. It was just about gave everyone in the room a heart attack. And to say they were startled would be an understatement. A big gasp was heard uh, by all. Well, whoops, you know what happened there? He wasn't really all the way dead. He was... <laughs> And you know where I'm headed now, to the Princess Bride, right? The Princess Bride <laughs> and Miracle Max. Miracle Max knows about this stuff, right? You, you'll recall the scene when they flop down Wesley, who is uh, apparently dead, in front of him, his lifeless corpse there on the table. Uh, they want a miracle from Miracle Max. So Miracle Max starts talking to uh, Wesley, and uh, Montoya says to him, what are you talking to a corpse for? He's dead. He can't hear you. And Miracle Max says, woo-hoo-hoo, look who knows so much. You know, <laughs> Billy Crystal, right? He says, he says, 
It just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. And then he says, there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. And he says, with all dead, well, with all dead, there's only one thing you can do. And Montoya says, what's that? And he says, go through his clothes and look for loose change. (laughs) Well, outside of that last comment, I never thought in a million years that I'd be appealing to Miracle Max for help with a little theology and understanding a concept that's going to appear in this morning's uh, passage. It's about being mostly dead, slightly alive. You know, it might be a good way to understand what the Apostle Paul is referring to uh, when he talks about the human condition before what we call regeneration or getting saved, becoming a Christian, before that state of um, being saved. Uh, What does uh, our human condition look like? Well, mostly dead, slightly alive at best. Now, Christmas is all about making us alive, being made fully alive, both now and forever. Because, and this is a good deal, because mostly dead, slightly alive in this life, if it's not fixed in this life, then you become all dead in the life to come. And becoming all dead is a sad state of affairs from which comes no remedy or happy ending. But that's the joy of Christmas, that in spite being born mostly dead, as we're going to see what the passage says, that God made a way for us to be fully alive. And really, this This passage really lays it out in such a beautiful way. Let's take a a look and see. Here's the entire passage, 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So 1 through 10 is the entirety of the passage that we're going to look at uh, this morning. Just a beautiful, beautiful description of what it means to get saved, really. It's been called the anatomy of a Christian conversion. 
this is the biblical account of what it means to be saved, to be going to heaven. And if this doesn't resonate with something inside of you, then you don't have a biblical case for uh, salvation. This is what it is. This is the story right here before us. And it will help to break it up into three uh, easy to digest points, you know. And since we're a few days away from Christmas, I've entitled these points. Number one, verses one through three, the need for Christmas, why he came. All right, number two, note takers would be the gift of Christmas, what he accomplished by coming to this world. That's verses four through six. And then finally, we'll consider seven through 10, the purpose for Christmas, what, what he ultimately had in mind by coming and bringing life. So this is the story. We're going to start really with the bad news that makes the good news ever so grand. And verses one through three uh, begins now, as we just read, I'll isolate for you those verses. Uh, as for you, you were just dead in sins. You used to live that way. You followed the ways of the world and, and the power behind that, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That spirit's now working in those who are doing evil things. All of us were a part of that at one time, and we were just gratifying our lusts and doing our thing, following only what we wanted. Uh, like the rest of mankind, we were, by nature of who we were, objects of God's wrath. And so that's the hard, bad news, uh, the news that we were mostly dead, slightly alive, and the fact that uh, we still had life to exist but not life that is truly life, as the Bible calls it. So it's one devastating description, isn't it? It's very offensive, and, and really, this is kind of the slap that stops some people from going any further with the Lord because they can't get over the bad news, which is part of the good news, that even though we were dead to God and doing our, our own thing and kind of controlled by our sinful nature that, that God, because of his great love, saved us in spite of us. That's a hard uh, pill to swallow for many people. But if you can get past the initial offense, you know, and I, this is not in my notes, surprise. And um, <laughs> I was thinking about that in between services, about the offense, because it's a slap. That's a slap, man. I have to say, everybody was like that. There is a healing that is so intriguing that Jesus takes a man born blind. And you know what I, where I'm going with this? He takes his head and he spits at him. He spits into both of his eyes. It's what the Bible says. He grabs his head and the guy says, I want to see. And the Lord grabs his head and goes, right in his face and 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 he's healed he sees and commentators every single one of them every single scholar says oh that's an easy one the gospel comes first as an offense to talk about the curse of sin and that when God has to come to you and do something offensive and say hey you sinned you're going to hell. You're a rebel. You have failed to meet my standards, and there's not a thing you can do about it. You're helpless, powerless, weak, and sinful. Besides that, you're a pretty good guy. 
<laughs> it's the spit, right? But if you receive the offense, your eyes open up and there's life. And so he says, as for you, you are mostly dead, slightly alive, dead in sins. Who's he talking about? Well, I like that he says, as for you, he's going to say, as for you, and then he's going to say, we also. So who's the mostly dead? He's going to say every human being who's ever lived, regardless of their outward situation. That's what he's saying. As for you Gentiles, you Ephesians, who had no Bible upbringing, you have no concept of, the, the, of Judaism that teaches the one true God. You don't know anything about the Ten Commandments. You don't know about Noah, Moses, Abraham, the prophets. As for you, you Gentiles, you, you, you've missed the truth, and you're mostly dead. Right? I mean, to, 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 to explain their situation, as for you Gentiles, you Ephesians, they found a rock. It was a meteorite. They pick it up, and some guy goes, hey, it looks like Diana or Ar- Artemis, the goddess. And they enshrined the rock with a temple that became one of the seven wonders of the then known world. It's beautiful. But they built it around the rock. And everybody came and said, there's the image of the, and that's what they were worshiping. They were worshiping a rock, right? And so, yeah, I mean, you know a guy found that rock because to a guy, everything looks like the shape of a woman. And and so (laughs) so the guy picks the rock up and goes, you know, and had a couple curves and he's like, it's Diana, you know? And so the whole world goes up and he says, as for you, you non-religious Folks, with your eight million gods and your and your rocks and your gold and your idols, you know you were dead. And then in verse three, it says, "We also, we also, the Jews, grew up with the knowledge of the one true God, the Ten Commandments, the promises, all those wonderful prophets. They they were weaned and and raised on Elijah and Elisha and David and Goliath. And he says, as for us too, we're dead." completely, 100% dead. So as for you Gentiles, dead. As for us do-gooders who knew the truth before uh, conversion, we're dead, completely dead. Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 are summed up in verses 1, 2, and 3 here, where, where, the, where in Romans he says, from God's point of view, all human beings who ever breathed a breath of life come under the power of sin and are helpless uh, because they have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That's Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. You know what he was saying. He said, hey, as for me, I was a Pharisee. I knew all about God, knew about the scriptures. I kept all the commands outwardly. I was flawless. I was a really good person doing good deeds in Yahweh's name. He said, the only problem with that is that on the inside, I was dead. So for the non-religious people, you're dead. For the good, upright, moral do-gooder who knows a lot about God, dead, same dead. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so he just starts out saying, as you you were dead. You know, here's, here's what I see. Despite our differences, social, racial, economic, um, uh, religious, 
It doesn't matter. We're all on the same boat. And the name of the boat is the Titanic. And, <laughs> and, and, and you know, uh, there were some really good people on it, really bad people. There were people who were stealing from the safes, and there were people who were uh, policing that, the heroes on the ship, you know? And, and so it just doesn't matter. If you're on the boat, <laughs> the problem is the boat is sinking, and it doesn't matter uh, who you are, where you come from, or what you know. Right? And so this is what he's saying. Now, we get to Miracle Max's statement, mostly dead uh, versus all dead. All right? So he says, uh, we are dead in before Christ, dead in our transgressions and sins. Here's what an American theologian, uh, Leon Wood, described this passage. A being might be alive in one sense, but dead in another. To be spiritually dead does not mean that we are physically dead, socially dead, or psychologically dead. Yet it is a real death, a dead death nonetheless. The most vital part of man's personality, the spirit, is dead to the most important factor in life, God. Now, that's why I think mostly dead, slightly alive works, uh, because we're still functioning. There's a part of us that's been disconnected from God. You know uh, Shark Tank? I like Shark Tank. You know Mr. Wonderful? You know, he says, if you turn your back on this deal, you're dead to me. That's the sense of, of, of no, <laughs> no relationship anymore. That bridge has been burned, as it were. Now, how did we get mostly dead? Well, love and free will demanded a choice. So when God created us, he wanted us to love him, but he wanted us to have choice because that's what love's about. He didn't want little robots, oh, we love you, Lord, you know, that kind of thing. Just didn't appeal to him as it did not appeal to you. And um, (laughs) so he says, I'll tell you what, the whole garden is yours. You own the place. Eat from every and any tree except that one beautiful one with that luscious fruit right there in the middle. Show me you love me and exercise your choice in this relationship by not stepping over that line and eating the fruit. Well, you know what our parents did. Deceived mom, uh, Eve, she ate. Willful dad, full knowledge, uh, he ate. They took it, they ate it, and they died. Well, they mostly died because they're still talking at the end of the chapter. What happened in their spirit was a disconnect, was that if you do this, you're dead to me. The spirit that hooked us up to life died, and their bodies caught up with the spiritual reality, which is much more grave than the body dying. The death that mattered was an eternal one, and there was a separation. What does the Bible say? Isaiah 59, verse 2. Your sins have separated you from my face, and that is why I do not hear, because you cannot have fellowship when there's undealt with sin in our lives. What did Jesus say? Hey, here's my mission statement. I've come to bring life. I've come that they might have life, and have it to the full. I love the verse, as I mentioned in our prayer this morning, where Paul says to Timothy, do good, have faith in the Lord, uh, minister for him, 
and you will have life that is truly life, not just mere existence. So this caused a mere existence on a level just of with the animals. No guidance, no purpose, no, no love of God, no, no, no destination of heaven. It just, that's what happened there. Now, the two words used to describe this spiritual death uh, is dead in transgressions and dead to sin. The word for transgressions means the trespass, you know? And so King James says, you know, forgive us our trespasses. Uh, all it means is to trespass over a line. So to be a transgressor is to be a trespasser, right? So God said, here's the line, don't cross over it. And we just go like that, you know, all of you know what that means or looks like, okay? And, and, and so sin, on the other hand, the definition in Greek there is to fall short, to miss the bullseye, uh, to fall short of a set standard. So what a comprehensive way to describe the pickle we were in, morally speaking, before God, because you have transgressing, which stands for the sins we're committing, sins of commission, and you have sin, which is falling short, which stands for the sins of omission, the things we're supposed to be doing that we're not doing. Love the Lord your God with all your hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and all of those things. And so summed up quite nicely in your two words, transgressions and sin, uh, is that without God, from God's point of view, we are both rebels and failures. <laughs> right? I mean, there's no other way around that. You know, who you calling a failure? You know? <laughs> right? I mean, that's what you want to say, is that's a hard uh, thing to wipe out of your eye. You know, but if you wipe it out of your eye and let it get into the other eye, they start to work. So, and if you start to see, you start to have life. And so as a result, we are dead or alienated spiritually uh, from God. Now, uh, you know, that's quite a paradox because you see people who don't know the Lord live in vivacious lives, or are they, right? You see athletes with physically fit, beautiful bodies and actresses and celebrities and politicians who have the world's acclaim and they're jetting all over the place. And Las Vegas is all bling, bling, bling. It looks like, wow, that's life. But I'm going to tell you something. When the light and the bling of God's glory appears in the skies and he exposes what really is going on in all of that bling, we will find that it's a living death, that it's empty and void. And it just needs life. And you see, so it's a living paradox. One writer said, you know, to affirm the paradox that one could be alive but dead at the same time uh, is to understand this, the basic tragedy of fallen human existence, that people who were created by God and for God are now living without him. That is the essence of a living death. Now, uh, what uh, he goes on to say what that death looks like, and uh, there's a second description of uh, pre-converted uh, life, and, and it's that following the world's way of doing things. I like Philip's translation, uh, verse 2. It says, um, we drifted along this 
stream of this world's ideas and uh, the way it lives. And in other words, uh, we're uh, kind of adrift without direction. Actually, uh, the meaning is a little bit more uh, severe than that. It really describes a life of bondage uh, to forces which we have no control over. In other words, to follow the ways of the world in your text doesn't mean to follow. It also means to practice and carry out the dictates of the world around you, uh, a world that's disconnected from God and from truth and from heavenly wisdom, so that what makes it so dangerous to take your cues from pop culture and movie stars and talk shows and the internet and all of that thing going around in the world. Luke chapter 16, verse 15 says, the things which the world prizes, the Lord detests. And so it's very dangerous to be kind of under the spell, as it were, saying, Whoever you were, at one point in time, you were following in the parade that, that ends on a precipice, right? But he goes on, you know, I, I mean, he, he, he tells us, listen, you don't want to follow what the world thinks. But what the world thinks, bumper stickers tell you, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. Really? You know, I told the first service about the guy I saw at the, the Petaluma landfill. And he had a big pickup full of stuff. And he's tossing the stuff over just right into the pit, you know? And I just was watching because he had a bunch of stuff. It looked like it was cleaned out his garage of every last Christmas gift that he's not using. And I got a, uh, uh, I saw his, I got a glimpse of his T-shirt. And it said, he who dies with the most toys wins. But here he is at the landfill, dumping out all his toys, you know, in the garbage. You're like, that, that's just crazy. Or, or the bumper sticker, coexist. That's why you can't follow the ways of the world. Coexist. What if one of them is right and some of them are wrong? How can you coexist with that? You know, it just doesn't make sense. Or let's redefine human sexuality. That's what the world says. God says, this is how I planned it. And the world says, uh-uh. No, we like it better this way. You know, so what can you do? He says, like others, we were in that parade, just going along with whatever the world said. Hey, this is what we think. This is how we do things here. And the power behind that is defined, isn't it? Look at the word and. They weren't just following the world. They were also following and following the prince of the power of the air. Or ruler of the kingdom of the air. The word kingdom just means uh, domain. Here's what that means. It's a reference to the evil one. There's about 20 titles for the devil. This is one of them. And it gives you some insight into what the devil's up to, where he works. And where he works is in the atmosphere, in the invisible realms of the spirit. That's where the devil and the demons operate. And... They are orchestrating that spirit that seems to have mesmerized an entire secular, God-rejecting world that's on its way in the parade. So on top of the stress that comes from the world is a spiritual orchestration of spiritual powers who's conducting it and leading the parade off the cliff. 
Now, you've heard of the Pied Piper. You know, I got a picture, an artist's rendering. It's a German tale, and I did a little research. The story goes that there was there in Hamlin a rat infestation problem. There was a guy who could get rid of all the rats by playing his magic pipe. And the rats would just go and leave. And apparently, you know, he did his job and he wanted the money. And they didn't like the job. They didn't pay. And so he came back with the magic pipe and he took their kids away. And now the story goes, the symbol now of anybody who kind of casts a spell of some sort of uses their influence to lead those who aren't fully aware or engaged away, astray. And so we see the prince of the power of the air says he's got authority and he's all over the place and he's the one. What does 1 John say? 1 John says that uh, the whole world lies under the control of the evil one. He's doing this, and the parade is following. I just read that. Thank you for that uh, picture. I just read this uh, USA Today. Turkey. First, one sheep jumped to its death. The stunned Turkish shepherds who had left the herd to graze while they had breakfast, watched as nearly 1,500 others followed, each leaping off the same cliff, Turkish media reported. In the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a billowing white pile, said this newspaper's name I can't pronounce. Those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and higher and the fall more cushioned. I know, sad. Well, they end up, they end up losing $100,000. The families are going through great hardship. But I'm telling you what, people, God compares people to sheep. And there's something about following, just following. And nobody, none of those sheep could just say, hey, this looks like a bad idea, you know? <laughs> Not one of them, not one of them just said, whoops, you know, you know, that looks like really steep, you know? <laughs> not one. And he says, listen, we, religious ones, the do-gooders, the not-so-good-doers, the non-religious, the spiritual only, I'm not religious, we all were a part of the parade following that music, just kind of, you know, fitting in and not having the sense to say, hey, wait a second, this looks not like a good idea. So we need Christmas because without it, we're dead to God. And so finally, it ends up this last part just saying, you know, if it's not just death and it's not just being enslaved or in bondage, but then it's condemnation. And that's the last of the bad news. The condemnation is, okay, well, it's payday. I mean, who, who's going to pay for all this sinning and transgression? A lifetime of it. Who pays for that, right? I mean, the wages of sin is death, right? So what about that death? That's where the objects or children of wrath comes in. So here's the deal. In love, God is going to say, listen, I'll, I'll pay the tab. I'll pick up the tab. I'll become one of you. 
I'll get a heartbeat and everything. You know? So, so that heartbeat can stop because the wages of sin is death. So someone's really got to die, die. So I'll take it. I'll pay. And, and all you have to do is trust me. And I'll give it to you for free. How about that? So you can either be, and in, in your choice, you can either be a child of wrath or a child of God. And that will be your choice. You see, that's what Christmas is about. It's about escaping the second death. You know, the Bible calls perishing the second death. In other words, if you remain spiritually dead in this life and you die spiritually dead, you die physically once and then you die twice. It's called the second death. That's where you are estranged from God, forever separated. And God came to make that impossible by causing us to come to life, to be born again, so that if you're born twice, you only have to die once. You see, you're born once physically, but you need that rebirth, that lighting to come into our lives. Nicodemus couldn't figure it out. He was such a good guy. And the Lord says, hey, man, I know you're trying to be good. It's never going to happen. You're going to be born again. And Nicodemus is all, how am I going to get back in the womb? And Jesus, I love this statement. Jesus says, I'm quite frankly surprised that you're a teacher with a comment like that. (laughs) He really says that. He says, "Uh, are you kidding me? You know, you're asking how to get back in the womb. Uh, That's not what I mean. I mean, you have to have a whole nother life. You, You can't be good enough. It can't happen. It, you have to be acted upon. Something has to happen to you for you to get to heaven. You see? So forever we see in these verses, how can a person like that get saved? Bring your friend who says, I'm basically a good person. Bring him here and say, you might be a good person at, if you compare yourself down to others but you're a good dead person and you may be better than the other dead person, but the the question is not good or bad. People are going to go straight off the cliff thinking, well, you know, I'm kind of more good than bad. And it never had anything to do with behavior. It had to do with coming to life because the issue wasn't that you're bad. The issue is that you're dead and you have to be made alive. And that's why Jesus says you got to be born again. you got to be born again. Thank you for that. I'm running out of gas already. Okay, I think you get it. Let's go to four through six. But, great word, (laughs) because of his great love for us, God, rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead. It's by grace that you're saved. And not only that, God raised us up with Christ, seated us already in heaven with Jesus himself. And so we're taking a look at that. So we've seen the need for Christmas to be made alive, and now we see the gift of Christmas, just that life from above, new life. If any man be in Christ, the Bible says, the old is gone, the new has come. Your new creation, you see? Not about reforming. It's about being transformed 
into somebody new. So here in these verses, it's real simple. What's the gift of Christmas? The gift of Christmas is a new life. In a word, he says, by grace, you've been saved. And of course, that's the point of Christmas. Matthew 1, uh, uh, the angel to Joseph in a dream. Give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's the whole point is to be saved, to be made alive, to be reconciled. God and sinner reconciled as the Christmas carol goes. It's the reversal of all the doom you just read and that made us all uncomfortable. It's the reversal of every last one of those ailments, you know? We no longer follow the world in that parade off the cliff. Who do we follow? We now, we get turned around. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside some in the parade and says, hey, you, 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 you. God loves you. Hey, he's got a better plan than this. This ends bad, bad. (laughs) That was spontaneous, all right? (laughs) This ends bad, very bad. And, and some of us in the parade went, hey, hey, wow, whoa, something's happening. And the spit got through and the eyes are opening. And we're like, whoa. And we turn the word for repentance, metanaeo. It means to do a U-turn. You see, that's repentance. It's just to go like that. It's not even cleaning up your life because what can you do? You're dead. You need the Holy Spirit's help to clean up your life, Right? No longer under the spell of the evil one, right? But we're under the control of the Holy Spirit, not the unholy spirit, when we become made alive. And instead of being the object of God's wrath, we become the object of God Almighty's love. Now, if there's no presence under your tree, go to Ephesians chapter 2 and read 1 through 10, and that'll be enough. The gift of God Forgiveness of sins, life from the dead, a life that can never die. And to go from the object of God's wrath to the object of God's love and to be seated and honored and exalted, you will die like Christ died. You will be raised like Christ was raised. You will be exalted into the heavens like Christ was exalted in the heavens. And you will take a seat on a throne, his throne, with him. The Bible says, you know, who needs another present? I mean, you know, Barb, I do want some presents. But, you know, if there were none, I would be very happy. But thankfully, there will be, (laughs) apparently. And here's, here's what makes the coming to make us alive just more glorious. He says, you see in Romans chapter 5, he says, you see at the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for our sins. Here's what he says. He says, you know, somebody would possibly dare to die for a good person, but God demonstrates his love in this, that while we were at our worst, he was at his best. While we were yet sinners and powerless and thumbing our noses and worse, at the Lord, rejecting him and killing him and his prophets, and taking the Ten Commandments out and removing the crosses and, and, and cussing up a storm. That's when God says, you, the apple of my eye, I love you enough to die for you. He 
does. That's just the amazing part of it all. So what exactly has he done in your verse right there? It says he's made us alive. So when you said, hey, I, I, I believe. I'm opening my heart. I'm going to say, yes, Lord. Or, you know, as one of the ushers, he's an usher now. But he was sitting, I remember, right where he was sitting. Sean, right where you're sitting. Sorry. <laughs> Lucky you. And, and he was sitting there, and I gave the altar call, and I watched it in slow motion. And I, and I got a look on his face, and, and all of a sudden, I saw this. You know, <laughs> then he looked around, and I looked at him. Listen, his whole life has changed. His whole family goes to church here. He's an usher. Uh, uh, he went from absolute unbelief to right there just, just going, I, I get it. I want the Lord. Well, what happened to him right there? I'll tell you what happened. It was happened to you and to me if you got saved. The Holy Spirit came in. You didn't start being religious. You didn't start saying, oh, no, now I've got to do A, B, and C, and I can't do D enough. No. What happened there is the Holy Spirit went, whoosh, reconnected you to God and life. And now from that new life will come new behaviors and good behaviors. Not so you can get to heaven, but as a result, that proves that you have been admitted to new life and that you will receive heaven. That's what happens to you. He made us alive. I mean, I told you a million times I was in a bar 19 years old and just loster than lost could be. And I had some stuff in my head about the gospel, some street preachers. My Jewish father was opening a Bible, talking to Jesus. You know, that's why I moved that out. <laughs> and there I was, you know. Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Over and over in my heart and my mind. Well, I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. My brother... Uh, Walk me out of the bar, as I've told you many, many times. And I said, the Lord's trying to talk to me. And he started crying and said, the Lord's talking to me too. 19 and 17, we shouldn't have been in the bar in the first place. <laughs> That's church. I got to confess my sins, right? And instead of going back in, I thought, I'm going to forget about this. This is crazy. I took a step to go back in the bar, and I just got a, just a sick feeling like, I'm going to go to hell if I continue that. And I just thought, nothing's worth that. And I turned around, and we got back in the car, and we started our Christian life. But that afternoon, I started talking. I had open eyes. I was alive to God I started to understand things. I started to have peace, and I was changing. I was different, like your story as well. That's what happens when you become a Christian. A supernatural change from the outside comes inside of you. And unless you got that, you are not saved. You are not going to heaven. It will not matter. You have to have an encounter. And when it, Now, it doesn't need to be dramatic like that. Some of them are. How many of you, are, you got one of those, something traumatic happened in your testimony? How many of you are more just kind of faded in like a beautiful sunrise? <laughs> There's more of you guys than the Apostle Paul electrocuted lightning ones. But you know what? Here's the deal. However you get through the door, 
However you get out of that parade and turn around, that's what really matters. So he made us alive. What were the three things involved? Look at your text. Surprise, love, mercy, and grace. It wasn't anything that we were doing. So we can stop. Listen, this will be nice news. We can stop trying to make ourselves more lovable because he was head over heels when we were in our sins. It's about his love, his mercy, and his grace. So he starts with love. He says, in love, God's great love for us. The, the verb uh, to have compassion, used for Jesus only, splank nizomai in the Greek, it means to tear the gut. So when, when Jesus, the leper comes up to him and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he's got leprosy. And, and it says, and the Lord had splank nizomai. And it's just a tear of compassion. And he says, I am willing. From that compassion, I'm willing. And touches the man. And in that willingness, he touches. Well, he becomes unclean. You can't touch a leper and not be unclean. But Jesus is becoming the sponge of the world's uncleanness so that he'll take all the sins and the unclean, defiled things to the cross, pay and suffer God's wrath, and say, it's finished. The uncleanness is taken away. I'm willing. That's the kind of love. He's not willing that any perish, but everybody come to repentance and have life. Our God, our Savior, wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. Those are two back-to-back scriptures. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. As surely as I live, says the Lord, I take no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their sins and live. That's his heart. So what? He looked down at a whole world marching to the beat and the music of the evil one. And he said, I got to fix that. Even if that means becoming one of them and getting in the parade with them and falling over that cliff. But he rises Again, and so uh, grace and mercy spring from God's love. Rich in mercy, you know what mercy and grace mean. I've taught it before. Uh, mercy is not getting what you do deserve from your bad behavior, and grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Mercy, not getting what you do deserve. I told you about our little guy PJ when he was probably about junior high age. He was on timeout for something. And, uh, you know, he's in the corner. He really, really, really wants to get up. Oh, it was really bad. And I'm like, no way, no way, no way. And I, I, I'm reading my Bible on the couch. And he's in the other room. But we could talk to each other. And he's he, he just sitting there. And he's trying everything. And then he says, hey, Dad. He goes, hey, I've got a Bible question for you. <laughs> I'm like, all right, here we go. I, I, I was just led astray. I was not thinking. I just thought, well, Bible question. Oh, hey, I, I was Pastor Ross here. So, <laughs> and so he says, Dad, he says, Dad, I really, you know, I just read something about mercy. What's the definition of mercy again? And, and, and I totally 
was not thinking. And I just said, well, you know, PJ is like grace. Grace is like uh, receiving what you don't deserve. But mercy, mercy is not getting what you rightfully deserve. And I looked at him and he goes, Yeah, and you know, I, I let him off the hook there. <laughs> How could you not? This is the kid who we had a loft up, you know, another PJ story. <laughs> uh, we, uh, he'd get in trouble. I'd go upstairs to sit on your room. Sit on your room. <laughs> sit in your room on your bed. So we, you know, Barb and I are downstairs in the kitchen and it's open, it was a loft, right? So his door was open, and he'd sit on, the, on his bed and take his guitar <laughs> and sing, make up a song about how much he loves his mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> Thanking God for the goodness of having parents like Marvin Ross. <laughs> he was a hard one. Um, I want to tell you one more story, but I'm like, no, this can't go on. So finishing grace. Uh, here's God's grace. Billy Graham told the story at one of his uh, crusades. He was driving through a southern town, and he got pulled over and cited for speeding. Uh, he was told he'd have to appear, uh, and he managed to appear. The judge did not recognize him at first. The judge uh, said, guilty or not guilty? And Billy says, oh, I'm guilty. And he says, okay, that is going to be $35. You remember back in the days, $35? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now it's $35 to get in. <laughs> 35 bucks. So as Billy got a little bit closer, walked by, the judge recognized him, and he smiled, and he looked up, and he said, hey, hey, hold on here. He says, let me illustrate something to you um, that a preacher once taught me. And he said, even though you violate the law, someone else can pay on your behalf. And that someone else today is me. I'm going to take care of that ticket. And afterwards, Billy tells it that he took him out for dinner and it was prime rib. And he ordered whatever he wanted. He wanted it to, to enjoy himself. So Billy said, if ever there was an illustration of grace and mercy is this. Not only didn't I get, did, did I not get what I deserved, but on top of that, I get treated to prime rib, a beautiful dinner like that. That's what God does not only, does he take someone who's headed and deserves condemnation. Not only are you not going to get that, but you are going to be exalted and honored, reigning and ruling with Christ. The stuff that will make angels just like, wow, marvel at us. That's grace and mercy. I mean, Merry Christmas to you all right there. No, listen. Uh, but wait, there's more. There's one more thing, then we'll finish up. Uh, uh, raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly places. I just want you all to notice something. It's in the past tense. And whenever God is dealing with us in salvation, it's in tenses nine times out of ten as it's already done, already happened, already took care of it. It's as good as finished. I'm just asking you to walk it out. So what he's saying here is that in some mystical way, we are dual citizens. 
Philippians chapter 3, we've got a citizenship in heaven and we live here on earth. But in a reality, we are with Christ wherever Christ is and he's seated. You're safe. You are safe. He are. Listen, one writer said this. The believer looking for the assurance of never losing their salvation need look no further than verse 6. These verbs are all in the past tense. When Christ ascended into heaven, we were with him. When he sat at the right hand of the Father, we took our places as well. Our physical position is here on earth, but our spiritual position is seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Stop fretting. Enjoy the work that has been done on your behalf. You couldn't have done anything. You were dead. And that by grace and faith alone is what saved you. So how can you be un how can you be disqualified for something you could never qualify for in the first place? And on top of that, he says, how can you unseat yourself from a place you're already seated before you're there? Think about it. <laughs> Not even you could mess that up. Just enjoy, enjoy him. Stop trying. What an, what an insult when somebody would just pay your entire college tuition and, and, and pay for everything in between. Take care of everything with one big check. Cover your food and your expenses and your tuition. And then you come back with, you know, hey, I got 100 bucks. I want to give it back and like kind of let you know how much I appreciate and just kind of help you out a little bit. Here's your $100. What an insult to the guy who said, are you kidding me? I just forked over 150 grand, right? And you got your $100. Oh, I'm so thankful for it. Whoa, I really needed it. Phew. That's what we do all the time. Not 150 thousand, but try $150 million, and then we come up with it, you know, we've got some pocket cash here, you know, I have my devotions, here's a 20, and you know, it's good to have your devotions, it's good to come to church, it's good to give. Divorce it from trying to earn anything, or to keep something, or to maintain it, because you already got the 150 million in the bank, you're already there seated with him. Take a big breath, enjoy your life, and love him out of love for what he's done for you and not trying to earn your way. Amen? Amen. Let's finish up. Last one here. We have one works-oriented person who's very happy there. <laughs> We're done. We're done. Okay. We're headed for the, and there's more than one of you out there. How many of you got a little works performance problem? You know, you kind of working your way. I'll be working my way back to you, Lord. <laughs> All right. In order that, finishing up now, in the coming ages, this is why he did all of this. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. It was by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own efforts. It's a gift, a present from God. You didn't earn it, no, so no one can strut around heaven like a peacock. But verse 10, for we are 
God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance before us to do. Let's look at that one. We've seen the need for Christmas. Desperate state of a lost world. And we saw the gift of Christmas and love he came to make us alive. And now the purpose of Christmas. Well, of course we know it's to reconcile the world to himself. But beyond that, he says, I did all of this in order that, and I'll tell you the truth, I wrestled for three days with this. What does this mean? What does it mean that God did all of that work in our hearts for, for in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us? What? That's what's prompting God to do everything. Well, one reason, and I just really started chew on this. Here's what I've come up with, and I'll, I had a lot of help from commentators and scholars. God wants to be known. He wants to express his heart. I mean, how else will you ever know God unless he tells us something? But he doesn't just want to tell us what he's like, what's going on inside of him. He wants to create and show us and say, show not just us, but the centuries of time of this world where the gospel goes out and preached into eternity. And who does he want to show? He wants to show the cherubim and the seraphim and the creatures before the throne and Michael the archangel. And it, it, it says there are, no man can count the number of angelic hosts, the armies of heaven, heaven the dignitaries. He wants every human being. He, so he's got an audience and he's saying, in essence, I want to show off a little bit. I, I, and, and when God shows off, everybody wins. All right? Not like when we show off. He, he's saying this. When an artist creates something, it's telling you a lot about who they are, what's on their heart, and, and all of that. I like what Henry Ward Beecher said. Every artist dips his brush in his own soul and paints his own nature into his pictures. So God looks down on a lost world that's rejected him, sinning and defilement, and he sees past that, and he dips the brush in his own compassion, love, and mercy, and he sets about to take a, a destroyed, broken life filled with death into this beautiful masterpiece. The word workmanship there is it mean, it's poema in the Greek. It means masterpiece, artwork, poem. But really, it means masterpiece. So God looks down and says, in our lost condition, I want to make something beautiful that expresses kindness there means sweetness. I want the world to see this, the sweetness that's in my heart. That could take somebody like this and, and not only not give them what they deserve, but elevate them to reign and rule with me. Co-heirs, co-heirs. To seat them, Revelation 3, to those who overcome, I will seat you on my throne. So he says, for all the world to marvel and to say, wow. And then that means that we, the church is like this big gemstone 
that each one of us look kind of like a facet, right? That well, how you turn that, each one of our stories are there in heaven for everybody to hear. And where does the praise and glory go? It will all go back to him. And he will be honored, right? But I like what Michael Angelo said, how he put it. He looked at this piece of marble. He, saw, he said, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. God looking down, he says, listen, I saw this man, his name was Saul, in this block of anger and death and pride and hypocrisy and murderous violence against me. And I saw this angelic, I saw this wonderful, God-fearing, compassionate man who would write my scriptures I start chiseling away at my masterpiece. And then he holds up a guy like Paul, but he holds up a guy like you and a, and a gal like you. And in heaven, he says, look at that. And he's, it's like a trophy of God's grace. And, and we get to be there and say, oh, just that we're there is giving honor and glory and praising. And I like what Spurgeon said. He said, when all the saints, all the Christians shall be gathered home, they shall sit and talk and speak of the wonders of Jehovah's love in Christ Jesus. And in the golden streets, they shall stand up and tell what the Lord has done for them to listening crowds of angels and principalities and powers. Each one of us has a story, each one a beauty, each one a masterpiece. And now look at, he says, not only... Are you changed into this beautiful creation that will share God's glory with him forever? He says, instead of walking down that parade to nowhere, now they're walking in light, in truth, doing good deeds that matter. The only good deeds are the deeds that flow from right relationship with God. All the other good deeds don't count. But he said, I've hidden works for each Christian to do beforehand. So like at this Christmas time, there are good deeds already planned by God before they've happened, and he wants us to find them. That's instead of following the world, going down the path, headed to destruction, he says, look at my masterpieces now. They're walking in the light, and they're going to find good deeds and opportunities at the Christmas table to say something or to act in such a way that shines light, to pray, to be an example. He's got something for you this Christmas to keep you out of your own mind and your own interest. There are deeds waiting for you. I love it. It's like an Easter egg hunt. <laughs> it's like trying to find, you know, hey, what, what do you got for me today? Because he says, I plan stuff, you know? And he's going to lead us to it. It's like, oh, man, I found it. I found that person. Who, who, who is it? What is it? you got a week. Don't be consumed with self-interest. Find what he prepared his masterpieces to do, and then do it with his grace. Amen? Amen. It makes God happy to transform lives to make mostly people 
mostly dead people fully alive. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you, Lord, for taking lives like ours, breathing life, making us alive for your honor and glory. We give you that honor and glory this morning. Now, as we stand to praise you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.